Today, we're going to talk about our boat. We have been getting a lot of questions about that um, since our last podcast, our reveal podcast, where we provided our email at sailingowen at gmail.com. And the bulk of the questions really were about why we selected a catamaran over a monohull and also why we selected a Fountain Peugeot over some other options that were available. So we're going to talk about that, but mostly uh, let's start off with where we are. You want to kind of paint the scene here? We're in uh, Porto Montenegro, um, in in the city of uh, Tivat, Um, so in the country of Montenegro. Uh, We sailed uh, across the Adriatic Sea uh, from Brindisi to Montenegro two days ago. And we got to the customs dock literally the second a storm started. So we had thunder well, and lightning and wind and everything like that. And it may be before, like when we left Brindisi with the Frontiera Policia, like the custom, the border police, oh, yeah. we wanted a stamp in your passport. And they said, where are you going? To Montenegro. And Montenegro is a red zone for Italy. Um, so I said, no, you're not allowed to go to Montenegro. And it's mostly for Italian citizens is what they're trying to protect because the Italian people come back from Montenegro, which is what they don't want. So they're like, oh, the borders are closed. And we're like, well, we're not coming back. And they go, well, you can't go. Yeah. And so then I said, well, can we go to Croatia? And they go, yeah, yeah, you can go to Croatia. So we're going to Croatia. We got our stamp. And but I guess here we, we are. We got lost along we the way. We got lost <laughs> and uh, had to stop at Montenegro <laughs> yeah. due to weather. But we're also wintering here, so it works out. And Montenegro looks at Italy as a green zone, and um, so as long as we are coming from Italy, then we are welcome here. Right. No COVID test needed. Right. Uh, it has been rainy and thunder and lightning because a huge storm passed through. Um, but so far. It's beautiful. There are some beautiful mountains here, and uh, we can't wait to get out and kind of explore. Yeah, it's it's a huge more. bay. Yeah, I mean the country is small, but you have this huge bay, and it's surrounded yeah by mm-hmm. uh, by hills and mountains, and so yeah, when it gets sunny, it just uh, looks beautiful. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Right now it's uh, overcast and rainy and windy. Yeah. So quick recoup on um, before we got here. And then I want to talk a little bit about just a summary of of our trip getting here, and then we'll launch into the boat topic. Um, so just a couple things to cover off on. So we last we spoke, I think we hadn't done Stromboli yet. We hadn't hiked up the volcano, so that was really fun. There's a video posted on our Facebook page. Uh, as well and um that was a that was a, a lot of fun and then when we and and the and this hike is an evening evening night hike mm-hmm. so you leave around five thirty or something yeah PM. five yeah. five thirty and so you get there for the sunset it was amazing yeah, well, the, it was not the best sunset for us because uh, there was no some the clouds. volcano. The hike itself yeah. was amazing. But so in theory, yeah. you have like the sunset and then the volcano. When the um, uh, well, you see the smoke at times. It's an active volcano, and the characteristic it releases continuously uh, whatever <laughs> volcanoes release. And um, and then um, so when the night comes, you you see. Uh, they take you up to see the lava shooting out, which yeah. is really awesome. And we were lucky enough to get part of it on video. So and and it's one thing. It's it's a physical hike by any means. It, it yeah. I mean to, to it's say like, it's strenuous, I think, is an understatement. It was it was pretty epic. 
and we hike a I lot. Mean, well, well it's not like we're scaling <laughs> rocks or something like that, but no. it was a scramble in some spots. It was a total of 10 kilometers, so like six miles. Mm-hmm. And but, but I think the guide was sort of racing to the top to get us there before the sunset because we, we started late. late. Yeah. yeah. And and we might have taken some shortcuts yeah. that were kind of, uh, you know, yeah. going up. But on the way down, you in, in it's dark and you have headlamps. And, and yeah, so yeah you, it was cool. And yeah. he took us, the, the hike down wasn't even a hike. It was... So he took us up some shortcut, I think, to get to the top to help us meet the sunset. But on the walk down, it was like some really pretty easy walk. Mm-hmm. But anyway, then we left Stromboli and we were trying to get through the Messina Strait. So then we were staging in Milasso, which is before you go into the Messina Strait. And we were just kind of kind of get a good night's sleep before we went, went through that and kind of around the toe side of the boot of Italy. And um, we woke up and some fishermen were shouting at us in Italian. And I guess, you know, they were saying, raise the anchor, raise the anchor. And uh, it's because their fishing net drifted underneath our boat. So that's not super easy to just raise the anchor. Well, and it it was really, I am not exactly sure. I think probably what happened is the net was sunk enough that our boat moved over it and when they start to raise it basically the net goes between all our appendages in the back yeah and our chain in the front and so somehow they were like raise the anchor raise the anchor and it's like well hold on because things are like are cut within the anchor one and number two, they were like, just just move forward. And we we're like, well, your net is going to get cut right. in all the different appendages we have, including the propellers. Like, So we're like, let's work together. But they couldn't speak English. We couldn't speak Italian. So we had to. Uh, anyway, so we dove in the water. We figured it out. They ended up cutting the net. But that was an uh, interesting. Not much. Yeah. 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 So we got free. And then they, they were cool. They were saying, is everything okay with the boat? And, and we haven't. Well, and they were especially concerned because I I busted out the video camera and I started video Mm -hmm. recording what was going on. And then suddenly they're like, no, no, it's okay, It's okay, Mm -hmm. And they're like thumbs upping and stuff. So it's kind of funny. I don't even know if they're allowed to fish there, honestly. Oh, yeah, probably because this net was there like at night we saw it. So, yeah, no. Mm. uh, Okay, so that's kind of where we are. So we went through the Messina Strait. Because you were concerned about the Messina Strait and the strong currents. Yeah, I was. I was concerned about the Messina Strait. You know, it's like, it, it's it's what they make, you know, <laughs> the Odyssey and Homer was talking about all the mythology around it. And um, yeah. It, and in the end, uh, it was supposed, where well, we waited for favorable currents. Uh, and favorable wind, which we had, but the current was expected to be like four knots, and and we had one and a half or even less at the most that we've seen along the whole crossing, and we thought we were maybe early, so we went to shore to get some more current. There was no no more current, and so that was like pretty flat water. Yeah, it was pretty easy. Easy, uh, yeah. I mean, it was just easy. Yeah. <laughs> So we anchored quickly at a little uh, town called Savrado, um, mm-hmm. and we didn't go in or anything, but people saw us come by, and they must have looked up our boat, and suddenly we got emails uh, from people locally wanting to chat with us, which was super cool, but we, we weren't able to stay, mm-hmm. um, and so we kind of took off, and we're on our way, and... Anyway, a couple days later, here we so, are in Montenegro. Yeah, that's you know, a lesson so. if you want to meet some locals. And if you're not concerned about locals contacting you out of the blue, just put some big letters. On uh, the side on of the boat, the yeah. And then the name on our boat is huge. It's humongous. And we'll talk about that when we talk about the boat and why we wanted to do that. But that's definitely one of the reasons why we thought we'll be friendly. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because people see our boat and they're like wave and smile and stuff. Mm-hmm. Because, I don't know, maybe just because the name stands out. I don't know. And, and when we talk to other cruisers, they say, oh, we've seen your boat like the last yeah. three or four days. We see you passing by. and That's kind of cool. I mean, one, they can probably, there was not that many boats this season. They can recognize them but we have this big logo and this big uh, yeah easy name like to remember yeah so so uh, people are asking about the name of the boat why the boat why catamaran so let's kind of start from the beginning so monohull versus catamaran you want to kind of start 
with our well, thought process on that? Well, I was open to either. Uh, the goal was more, let's make this happen. So monorail will be cheaper, obviously, like the way it sells, upwind, healing. But there is nothing you know, that's going to beat the comfort of a, of a catamaran. So it sells flat. <laughs> and there you have a lot of room. Uh, storage is key um, when you leave a board. Yeah. Uh, and, and, it, and even when we looked at the fort, so at the time, we, um, the 47 had just come out and we were looking at the uh, Helia 44. So let's, let's talk about that when we get to why Fountain Peugeot. Oh, okay. okay so well, right now we're on Monohull versus Catamaran. Yeah, Monohull. Well, comfort. And you're going to leave every day in your boat. So that's On a Catamaran. Yeah, yeah, on a Catamaran. Storage. Um, your liverboard, and it's amazing how much stuff uh, you you need <laughs> or don't. But you end up if you have the well, space. Well, just in boat parts alone. Yeah. Yeah, just just boat parts, spare parts, tools. Um, you know, comfort stuff, and yeah, and um, you know, diving equipment, and so yeah. it adds up. Uh, and so Catamaran um, offers a lot of storage. Yeah. And you were really, you were fine. Like, you know, you could be happy in a broom closet. Like the last <laughs> boat you had was had a bucket for a, a head. So it's not like, you know, you weren't the one sort of, I, I think I was more, I don't want to feel like I'm camping every day. And yeah, you said like, well, if I'm going to do this, this project, like live on a boat and cruise around the world, I'm going to do it, you know, with a certain level of comfort. Yeah. And so I think you were just happy. You would have been happy on, you know, a 30-foot boat yeah. or something. So. Now, now being on a catamaran, um, I would say stuff that maybe hadn't thought so much before. But at anchor, oh, uh, yeah. life is so much better. Yeah, uh, You see the boats rolling, the monoholes, and they swing and swing and mm -hmm. swing. Yeah, you, you'll swing on a catamaran, you'll swing a little bit when you get some wake coming from the side or, or you get uh, some short waves, but then you'll stop. Yeah. And you see the monoholes and they Going swing again and, and again yeah. and again. Yeah. So I would say talking about comfort, uh, that's huge. Yeah. That's huge. You yeah. Know, you feel like, you know, uh, life is probably really, really much better like, yeah. on the catamaran at anchor. So let's talk about safety. Um, monohull versus a catamaran. I mm -hmm. think we had some discussions about that. You know, um, monohulls are known for, well, they have a reputation of faring better in really, really bad weather. I think the thought process is you can heave to. Um, if you, you know, flip over, you flip back. There's some of this kind of discussions. And honestly, I think there's a lot of opinions. Um, for me, I think, you know, I thought about it like if it's a bigger boat and a catamaran, it's more stable. It's also you can run away from a storm quickly it's sort of that was sort of part of the logic and then i think and whether this is rational or not i don't know and scientific or not i don't know but once you start getting 47 feet 50 feet catamaran they're pretty hard to flip um, yes. that doesn't mean it's impossible for them to flip certainly but um more difficult and um if it does flip it doesn't sink normally like mm -hmm. they they're known to not sink now we have heard of catamarans that sink for other reasons um well they'll, they'll you know windows popping out of the holes and yes but they'll, they'll still float <laughs> they'll still float yeah they'll be a part of yeah. the boat you know underwater yeah. but they'll still float um so so that's yeah. that you want to stay you know so so because i'm a fear-based individual in a lot of ways when it comes to kind of assessing risk for myself i was like okay what's the worst that can happen we flip over we hold on to the boat we stand on the boat and we don't get eaten by sharks okay i can do that you know? mm. so versus a monohull where it just completely sinks and then you have your life raft or whatever so and and a catamaran you have redundancy right so we have two engines uh, so if you catch a line or something, I mean, we have line cutters to prevent uh, any issues like this. But if you have more, well, even two of technical issue on, the, much, on, the, yeah. on one engine, 
you could still be moving to the next port with the right. other engine. So there's some some safety with that um, reassurance. Right. right. Yeah. So I think um, those were the biggest comfort, storage, uh, livability, just generally not feeling like you're camping. Um, mm-hmm. And then from a safety perspective, the, the other, I think it was just there's trade-offs and it just comes down to personal yeah. preference. And, and in livability, it's the fact that you're going to leave, you know, most of the day between the cockpit and the salon. Right. And on the catamaran, you all the new you're catamarans, down. it's just one level. You yeah. can see basically 360 versus a monohull. You go down inside go down. like a cave. Yeah, all the monoholes we looked at, it's still kind of, even the modern ones, it still feels like you're going down into a hole. You mm. know, not like you, you're up. Yeah, higher. the modern ones, they do a better job and yeah. just more light. But yeah. it's definitely very pleasant because that's where you spend your yeah. time. And and also, um, you have a lot more lounging area. Yeah, a lot more. <laughs> so, a lot of comfort on that. Where yeah. You can, you can go on top. You can go forward. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you want to um, to do, like, yoga, if you want to do... Yeah. You need a little bit of space. And, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you can find on bigger monos, yeah. but definitely uh, you have options so to and, entertain people, too. Yeah, and just to recap from... Um, we, I did an episode very early. It might have been the second or third episode about the boat, falling in love with the boat first in terms of making the dream a reality. And so when we... Plan, financially planned for a boat. We planned for a catamaran, uh, hoping that we would get there. But I mean, if we didn't make it, we would have done something else. And we certain, I certainly probably would have still done a monohull for sure. You know, I, I guess I want to keep you guys aware of that too. Like it, it, for financial purposes, we planned up and we were able to get there, but there's some really great monohulls and, um, as well. And, you know, it just depends. Then you just have to wrap your head around all the other things, you know? So, Mm. so anyway, um, why a new boat versus a used boat? So now that we've chosen a catamaran, why did we decide to buy new versus used? Well, there were a couple of things. Um, we come from the West Coast in the U.S., and that's not like... Catamaran Central. No. Yeah, it's not at so all. So you don't have a lot of catamarans to look at that are used. So then you need to fly to the East Coast. Or, or somewhere else. Or right. somewhere yeah. outside the U.S., like in mm-hmm. Greece, in the Med or something. So logistically, without, uh, you know, traveling to go see boats and, then, you know, it's... And then having to fix up a boat remotely because we still had to work. At that time, there wasn't mm-hmm. COVID, obviously, and so we were still working and going to offices, right? But, yeah, so, there was the logistical right. issues around finding a boat and flying there and taking time and look at it and having to make a decision based on what you've seen during that time. Right. Uh, it would be maybe different if we were living in the Med where you can go right. in many places and see many boats. But from where we were, logistically, that would have been a little bit complicated. Um Number two, yeah, it was how do we want to spend our time cruising? Um, so not that new boats are like perfect. Oh, yeah. We have all kinds <laughs> of stories to tell about the new boat. But but at least it's built to a standard in a certain way and you have a group and everybody has the same boat and you can learn from each other versus... Uh, people, other owners have made modifications and or you're trying to understand. jury rigged the electrical in some weird way yeah. that, yeah. So that means that's fine. You can do that. You probably need to plan um, to spend time with the boat and really kind of learn everything and maybe make some changes that were made before. And and maybe it was well prepared by, yeah. uh, by an owner. And, you know, so... So there were some logistical concerns. There was some, well, how do we want to spend our time right. cruising, um, you know, fixing boats versus uh, having a, <laughs> or knowing the state at the beginning right. and then working from that. Like knowing the known issues versus mm. not knowing at all what you're getting into with, with yeah. a used boat. I yeah. think the other thing we was... We just met a couple in yeah. Brindisi. They bought a, a motorboat in Greece 
and yeah. um, and they thought, you know, oh, well, great, cruise, cruise. you know, we're yeah. going to live the dream and, and cruise in the Med and bring the boat back to France. Uh, and they were telling us about the engines. They were, and, and I don't know, we don't know the details. I've done an inspection and yeah, stuff, yeah. but you're in Greece and, you know, who knows? Like You're thinking you're getting a good deal on a boat. Suddenly, yeah. uh, they have to take the two engines out, sending sending them to Athens. They to shipped them, them to yeah, Athens. Bringing them back. So that's 20,000 euros right there. Yeah. And then they put them back. And then on one side, they have an oil leak. On the other side, they have a fuel leak. And so it's just on and on. And in, now they're putting they're in Italy and they're putting the boat for sale and they're going back to France. Yeah. So, I mean, it's maybe a bad example and who knows the details of that story. Right. But, you know, this can happen too if you don't do your right. due diligence, if you don't know people locally you can trust. Um, so right. that dream can quickly take a left turn. Right. And, you know, again, just to reiterate, we were financially budgeting on a on the high end side to make any other options available below that and it turned out we were able to do that so i'm not trying to dissuade anybody you know from from that just sharing our own yeah, yeah i mean it's process. very personal yeah. everybody is going to have different criteria different requirements and yeah. um so yeah the other thing we looked at was um inventory so at the time you know we we're like okay well if we wanted to get a used catamaran that was maybe only a couple years old, you know, because you think, oh, like a car, you drive it off the lot and it depreciates and the boats are the same thing. So we'll just get, you know, a two, three year used uh, catamaran and wouldn't that be great? And when we started looking and tracking the inventory of used boats available for what we wanted, there was no availability, you know. So the good news is it seems like newer boats hold their value or at least are able to sell quickly because there isn't a lot of inventory. Mm-hmm. Um, and with, I think, a lo- some of the hurricanes and storms and stuff, you know, people, those boats go quickly, you know. Yeah, I think two reasons mainly probably for that. Catamarans have now become more and more popular yeah. um, with cruisers. So there is more demand. And number two, I think Hurricane Irma, uh, destroyed a lot of right. the, the charter fleet, and so um, there was, you know, maybe boats that would have been as inventory for, you know, after right. like charter for five years were gone. Uh, we were not ever considering a charter boat anyway, but so yeah, so there's demand, and um, right. so it makes it a little harder. H- however, if you want a new boat um, and there is a two year wait. And you don't want to wait two years. Um, two years is a long time. It is a so long things time. will happen. People will put money down for a boat, and if you stay connected with the this group, uh, or you know, some people will say something changes my life, and you know, here's the and boat. And suddenly they can't, and you yeah. can kind of slip in and get a spot. Yeah. yeah. And in some cases, the option list is not finalized, so you could even like customize get it. on it yeah. and then customize their own way. In some other cases, the option list has been finalized. But then you get a boat faster. Right. So that's that's something that we didn't know uh, could happen. Like we didn't think right. about this. But if you, yeah, if you, it doesn't. And you mean stay close to your broker because your broker can also, you know, find those opportunities. Yeah. I think. So, but it doesn't mean it will sell, you know, yeah. cheap or anything because yeah. there are other people who are doing doing this. Right. But it's an option. Right. So you mentioned charter boats. Let's talk about why we wouldn't consider buying a charter boat, especially knowing what we know now. Well, we've done charters. Yeah. And um, and I think... Uh, and we're pretty careful. You know? No, we're pretty careful. We care about boats and mechanics and rigging and the way to sail the boat. And, uh, but not everybody cares. Not everybody is knowledgeable. Uh, you need just minimum requirements to really charter a boat. Um, you know, you get that certificate allows you to charter a boat and they want, you know, and they'll give it to you. Yeah. And I'll give you an example. I don't, I, I don't exactly remember who it was, but we were talking to somebody and um, they were saying they're father is chartering a boat for the first time and he's a a former military um 
you know, ship captain, like huge ship, like mm. huge, huge ships, but he's never actually sailed a catamaran before. So he can certainly go charter a catamaran because the catamaran companies are like, oh yeah, you've got all this big sea captain time. sea time and, <laughs> and all this stuff, but it's a completely different boat. And what he was saying was he went on the catamaran with his dad and his dad was just thrashing the boat, you know, like just abusing the boat because he, he wasn't really concerned that much about, you know, a bigger, huge ship versus a catamaran. He's just like, drive the thing, you know? So that's an example. And, and people, we've heard stories and yeah. people go on vacation and you share with other couples to split the cost and there's drinking involved and, yeah. you know, it's a new area. The boat is new to Or maybe you, there's so, a lot of coral or, you so know, when things you to buy hit, the boat yeah. afterwards, I mean, the, 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 I mean, the engines are going to be maintained by the chartering company, but, you know, I mean, the shifters, yeah. like people are just going to just... Yeah. You know, and just knowing... Just like a rental car. Yeah. Right? You know, if, if you are... Yeah. So there are certain things you can obviously change on the boat and, and everything will be fine. But um, yeah, there are certain things that's going to be costly. Yeah. And here's what I'll say is is at least my observation, and many people might already know this, but now that we've been on the boat for a few months, boats are... In, incredibly hardy in many ways, you know, rugged. And in other ways, they're super fragile and fussy, you know. So you do something wrong and then suddenly it breaks whatever, the cable or something important. And um, then it's broken and, and that has to be fixed. So it's not like boats are immune to abuse, you know, because they're not. They're really kind of delicate, once you start cruising uh, to get parts, to understand, you know, to express yourself in a different, in different language, language, you know, yeah. everything becomes more challenging. To get legitimate service services and things like that. It's yeah. much more difficult. Yeah. So it's, yeah, you might be able to say I'm going, um, but now you're going to spend time stuck in marinas, spending money, right. being in marinas where it's hot and not comfortable and then and, and being upset because the parts you ordered are not the right parts and you have to wait some more or the mechanics are trying to do something there, you know, right. they don't know what they're doing. So... Uh, it's a balance. Yeah. And then and just another small, th well, it was a big thing to us is charter boats usually have a four cabin layout and we wanted the um, owner's cabin mm -hmm. uh, layout. Yeah. And the owner's lay cabin layouts tend to not be at all available in inventory. They're just in high demand. Yeah. So that's another reason. Okay. So why the Fountain Peugeot Sona um, versus... A lagoon or a leopard. So those were really the three we looked at. Ultramar mm -hmm. uh, was sort of outside of our price range. Although looking back now, maybe we would have been able to afford it given what we spent so far on this boat. So first of all, maybe maybe it's good to talk about why a production boat versus you know something that's a bit more custom. I guess would be the question because a lot of people don't like production boats for many reasons. But we wanted to do that. Um, because of availability of parts and things, right? So maybe you can share some thoughts. Um, yeah, so production boats, they definitely are getting more volume. Mm -hmm. um, if you, you know, they, if you get a fly bridge, they're getting higher. <laughs> so the, the center of effort on the cell is even getting higher. So there's certain things that are not good um, uh, because they are heavier. And, but it's going to be, they're targeting more basically chartering kind yeah. of couples and or, or more mainstream you know, market I would say more mainstreams yeah. where, where people want comfort they want space so after that um, either you're not you're you know and I come from like a racing background so I definitely have an affinity for you know like a Nutramare yeah. or like you know some other boats like this um, but like people say you are going to spend 90% of your time at anchor mm-hmm and 10% of your time sailing. Mm -hmm. um, so, do you want, like, 
a super like a Ferrari in your garage where you're working and you're driving it on the weekend only. Yeah. <laughs> and that's fine. You can do that. Or do you want, you know, something not right. as fast, but, you know, that you're going to enjoy because you're going to spend more time. Right. And we did want something more on the performance side because we did want to sail. We didn't just want a motor all the time. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, so that was important. We definitely uh, didn't want a flybridge from many reasons um doesn't sell as well it's it's not safe in our opinion to be a couple and having yeah one it's completely detached from the rest of the boat so we were looking more at, you know um what they called sport a, top or yeah so yeah. you have the helm kind of uh, we still have a, a, a lounge room top. on top yeah. like just to lounge but you have the um the helm station uh, sort of halfway, halfway between yeah, yeah. So, so that but then was then the production boat aspect of it was good, you know, like I said, because we thought we would be able to get parts pretty quickly. So, yeah, we all, we were thinking like, okay, so first the price point is going to right, be overall better. better. Yeah. Um, you'll have more of those boats uh, out there, and <laughs> so you'll have more like a Facebook group, access to advice, yeah, to advice and to other people who've done things or figured out some things. And so we were like, okay, we can tap into this as opposed to have, you know, a subset of uh, a smaller number of um, whatever, mm -hmm. uh, more custom boat. Um, so we thought that was important as liverboards and, you know, having to deal these, with these type of issues potentially mm -hmm. when you are like far away from, from mm -hmm. other places. So then after that, so you're looking at Leopard, Lagoon, and, and Fountain Peugeot as the mm -hmm. three main ones. We've chartered the Leopard. That was fine. But I always pictured the Leopard. They, they were really primarily built to for charter. So, I don't know. We never, like, we, we chartered one. It was okay. But uh, from a selling point of view, I don't know. It was not, like, was not crazy about it. I was open to it. Uh, I I like the leopards. Um, I was willing to sort of go down that path. The the problem is when we saw the zone and we just fell in love at that point. Um, but let's before we go there, let's talk about Lagoon. Yeah, Lagoon. So they're the number one. Um, so obviously you look at those. Uh, they're heavy, really heavy. Really heavy. Uh, yeah. Not that this boat is light by any means, but yeah. they are like really heavy. Um, I remember that storage. Yeah, was, storage was an big, issue. Bulky, but not not great for storage for like liverboard. That's mm -hmm. how it felt with a 450. Yeah, so the one we were looking at specifically was the 450 Sport mm -hmm. Top. They called it. Yeah. So um, the issue with that boat is there was like no storage at mm -hmm. all. And then the second issue was inside the salon. They have the mast going straight in the middle of the salon. Mm -hmm. So you're sort of constantly maneuvering around this beam, basically, in the middle of your living area. This post. And that was really, really bizarre. Yeah, um, and I think you can probably get used to once you live right. on it. Uh, it's a lot we of stuff like you pay attention yeah. to before, but once you move on the boat, you probably don't pay attention. But, and they argue that, you know, the smaller main and the bigger jib and the self-tacking jib is better. Um, we met some owners of Lagoon, Lagoon 42, and they say it, it's just, I, it, this thing doesn't sell. At all. <laughs> I mean, it's, we've heard, it's, it's like, what did the guy call, refer it's to as? Charu in French, I forget the English word, but it's like the stuff to rotate the earth, the soil. A plow. Plow. It was, yeah, it's plow. a plow, yeah. So that's how he described his own boat. Yeah. It's Lagoon 42. Um, the other thing that was interesting to me is, um, all the technicians mm -hmm. that worked on this boat and those guys our boat love you mean our, our boat well yeah. we okay so let me just provide context so when we started working on our boat there's a bunch of um, service providers in La Rochelle that also service and commission lagoons um, so there are a lot of the boat technicians that kind of go back and forth between lagoons and fountain Peugeots. Yeah. Or sailed on them because they do deliveries. Right. Or, you know, among them, they talk about, they talk about issues yeah. from this boat, that boat. And I would say that the, the trend was that lagoons boats were better before, but now they've gone too soft, too flexible. 
and they've had issues uh, with that. They are basically, um, uh, yeah, they're basically. They, they so were, what we heard specifically was that um, they are they're not put together solidly, and the and structural the, the structure kind of comes apart, and yeah. and their structural weaknesses. Now, what we've been told, and this is all you know hearsay, right, by technicians that work on boats, so we don't have any firsthand experience. But Lagoon used to kind of be the the stand the quality standard for this mid-sized kind of production level boat, and over time, it's just disintegrated. That's what they've said, and there are actually technicians that said we won't even work on lagoons anymore because we don't want to be affiliated with it um, i would say an advice don't talk to boat owners um talk to be, technicians <laughs> yeah. talk to people yeah. who sell those boats because they'll do like deliveries and, yeah and or that fix those boats yeah and of course you'll have bad stories from every boat but i think it'll be more interesting yeah you'll easily hear stories from different owners but i think it would be good to hear stories from people who sail on those boats on many of those boats because they do daily right and this is all after we made the decision right so let's just go back to when we made the decision not to get a lagoon so we were looking at a, a lagoon 450 in the Bay Area, there was one for sale, and we looked at it a number of times. And you know, over the course of a six-month period of time, every time we would go back and look at it, because we weren't completely sold, and we wanted to hold out until we could see the Sona Forty Seven live in person, and it hadn't been announced yet. Um, every time we saw it, it just looked worse and worse and worse. Like you know, they were taking it out on on day charters and stuff, but it just didn't seem to wear well. You know either that was another and, thing and it was still like all new catamarans they have one level between the cockpit and the salon and the lagoon 450 was still this older design where you step down bulky like cockpit not much space you step down it, and it, it's just a nice flow when you right. have like you know it was a weird overall space. it was sort of weird a weird flow there there's some newer designs out now but even like the windows was on the upper deck weren't flush you know, just things yeah, like that. Well, that's like a newer design. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They do uh, those improvements. Yeah. So why the Fountain Peugeot? So we thought it was a good compromise between performance and livability and convenience. Um, yes. From, from a sailing performance, like we're talking again about to those technicians who do deliveries, they thought that Fountain Peugeot has kept... Um, you know, obviously they increase the volume and the weight, and but at the same time they've kept to a certain standard about making the boat sellable and uh, the boat moving in the water as opposed yeah. to like <laughs> pushing. Yeah. So it's meant to be sailed. It's meant yeah. to be sailed. Now you know if it's light air, you know you need a certain amount of wind for the boat to move, otherwise you'll be motoring. Of course. You know, that's a question of just, just weight, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and sail area. But sail area, we have plenty of sail area. Um, and then we have all these downwind sails. So we, we can definitely, um, uh, you know, with the right, uh, you just need that amount of, certain amount of wind to start to start moving. But once you have that amount of wind with the proper sails, um, then you, the boat will start moving nicely. And, right. and so, uh, right. so, yeah, they, they said they would enjoy delivering FP boats and especially the 47 because it's like a bigger boat and uh, versus you know yeah some other boats. and so we were looking originally at the Helia 44 mm-hmm. um, that had been out for a while mm-hmm. and had, its design had been updated um, so at the time we were looking at the 44 or the 47 which we hadn't seen yet we went to the Annapolis boat show we saw both boats and we were blown side by side, side, by side. <laughs> and we were blown away by the additional storage space in the 47. It definitely adds up and we're pretty light packers and we kind of have stuff, you know, stuff's full, you yeah. know. So And granted, we're not using any of the two cabins and you know, yes, well, we'll have some yes, guests. Yes, we are. You have the whole four peak, you know. Oh, the built four out. peak. Yeah, no, but the the cabins like they are they're This bedrooms. closet's full. Down here. Yeah. I mean, and you could transform, <laughs> um, you know, like let's say on a 44. And if you know that you're not going to resi- re- yeah. like, um, uh, have one couple at, yeah. at a time, you could transform one cabin into like a, a workroom or something. Workroom, yeah. this and that. 
and have the even more storage space. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but when we saw them side to side, there was definitely a difference between the storage space. Mm-hmm. So that was big. And also the kitchen area, we felt, I don't know, I like the island. Some people complain about having an island in the, in the galley, but I like it. Um, and then, but honestly, the, 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 the thing that cinched the deal was the shower. So in the master cabin, um, which by the way, you're six, two, and you can stand up completely in this boat. And down yep. underneath, I mean, you've hit your head. You've hit your head once, right? Uh, there are like one area or two, yeah. like where I duck a little bit. But uh, yeah. But to be able to stand up in the bathroom and stand up in the shower is sort of awesome. So, mm-hmm. and the shower in the um, master layout, it's like being in a real shower. So... To me, that was a, another one of those things like, okay, camping versus living in a small apartment. It feels more like a small apartment. So The, the counter to that is we didn't think about um, your height. Yeah, and- that is the problem. <laughs> so, so I'm 5'2". I'm a whole foot shorter. And I need little step stools to be able to shut some of the windows and things. The hatches. The hatches. So, so, so that's my job to open and close the hatches. And uh, so that's <laughs> I one I can't reach things. Drawback. Yeah. The, well, we talk about height. I would say it's nice to get a bigger boat, but um, yeah. it has some advantages. It also has some disadvantages yeah. uh, where, it's, and, and it might be true with the Mostly 44. putting the mainsail up and down. The 44 might yeah. be uh, also challenging. But can you do it being 5-2 and put the sail away, the mainsail? Um, probably because we know... Uh, so Luik yeah. is, I don't know how tall he is, but I mean, he's he's certainly not six foot tall he's oh, no. he's more my height i would say yeah and but he's also 28 years old and yeah. his body bends in different ways than mine yeah, and he's yeah. just like you know jockeying up the the mast for god's sake but taking but risks taking also, risks yeah because you know what's if if it's light air and flat water like no problem anybody will take time and do this but yeah. when you are at night in bad sea state yeah and then you need to get the main into the the lazy bag. Uh, it works. And you have long height. arms. Yeah, yeah, it works for my height, but it's still not safe. Yeah. It's um, it's definitely a drawback. Uh, and I would say, if you if you are like a couple that is, then and one of the person is not like six feet yeah. at least, then it, it might be worth considering like other models where you would lose the lounging area or consider how to like we have we need to figure out a way for you to properly close the sail bag um without without feeling like you're going to be flinged off the side no and and i think we we have a line along the boom on each side so i can clip to that um because the higher you go and the boat will move and and then you know you'll try to secure the the tighten the main sheet so the boom doesn't move but it will sway so I would say for a shorter couple, definitely, definitely you need to try it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. The advice would be don't just look at, you know, the shower and the galley and mm -hmm. livability and storage and stuff. You actually should get on the boat and, and try to reach you know, zip and unzip the sail back, even if it's just at the dock at a boat show. Yeah. You know, like these are things where you should picture well, yourself, you know, trying to get the sail up and down. And, and zip and unzip is one thing. Is right. The sail will come down roughly in the back, but you might have to reach and push it in. And so if you already have a hard time just at the dock to reach things. It's starting uh, to rain. That's the background noise. Yeah. So it's worth looking into this and even if a lot of people buy these type of boats because of a lounging area on top um if you if you don't have one person in the couple who is at least six feet in my opinion it's worth looking at a different design yeah where the helm station is lower a little bit lower you lose the lounging area but then you can but the lounging area is amazing even under sail yeah I mean. but but you need uh, yeah. if or you buy a motor yacht you yeah. Know, if you if you buy a sailboat, hopefully you want to sail it, yeah. and you're going to want to feel comfortable putting the the mainsail up and down. It's it's yeah. one thing for the for the Genoa you can furl it, and you know you have electric winches, you have all kind yeah. of help. 
But for the main, um, bracing in, no problem. Well, yeah, because yeah. you unzip the bag, it's still, you know, you need to be tall. Yeah. But um, it's more in bad conditions and right. it's windy and the sail is not quite in the bag and you yeah. need to get everything and you're going upwind during that time. Yeah, it's against really the waves, bumpy. Yeah. And you cannot turn downwind until the, the main is yeah. zipped up in the bag. Yeah. So during that time, um, and you're going to do that at night... Uh, yeah. So picture. So if you're at a boat show and you're a couple and you intend to do double-handed sailing, um, the wife needs to actually try to zip and unzip the bag, and then picture doing that at night, upwind. Why do you say the wife? In bad conditions. Be well, because typically, typically the woman's <laughs> no. shorter. No, and you know, I listen. I'm I'm 51, right? I consider myself to be in generally good shape. I, I wouldn't say I'm super, super athletic, but I can hold my own hiking up Stromboli like that. <laughs> you know? But, you know, my hips get tight, you know, my lower back gets tight, you know, and and I think those are things you just have to picture in your mind. OK, like, how is this going to work? How How is my arm going to get over this without, you know? Um, hurting myself. So we've also had some questions about our decals on the boat and uh, why why we named the boat Owen. So maybe we can talk about that. Um, I think the decal on the boat on the boat is something that um, is an afterthought in most of the time. You're going to spend a lot of time about choosing, selecting the right options, and thinking about this and that. And then you're kind of like at the end, they're like out of steam. Yeah. And 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 then you're like you don't want to go into a whole like production you know, process more money yeah. to get a logo done, and or you want to do it yourself, or you just want a name slapped on the back of the boat and call it good wherever you're because yeah. wherever you flag, they ask for some proof that you have the name on the boat. So. But I think, you know. All these boats are production boats, and they all look the same. They look like look, Ikea, honestly. Like, well, they mean, do. Y- they do, but then you add the flexi-teak, and okay. it doesn't look like an old white boat. Right. And so it doesn't look like... But they're all pretty standard, is my point. In the FP line, in the distance, it's hard to know if it's a 47 or a 45 or 42 because they all have the same lines. So it, it kind of, you want to add a little bit of personalization to your boat. And, and I would say just, just making those big stickers and, and with the letters and choosing the font you like and the logo and go big on that, it just makes your boat like feels like it, it kind of wraps your boat. And it finishes it up, and it feels like, oh, it's our boat. And it feels like, not like a boat, but it feels like our boat. It became a personality a little bit for me once the stickers went on. Yeah. It felt like it was ours. It felt like it became... I could suddenly understand why people... This is such a weird thing to say, but why people refer to boats as she or he mm-hmm. or whatever because it it just made it feel like oh that's that's our home that's our boat i don't know just yeah. and we didn't do it to be like flashy or anything but the side effect is people notice yeah that's cool because you go to some anchorages like oh i think we saw that boat before like you know but you you just have to remember the name that is remembered that is at the back or like you go with the flag and you're like was it their boat and you're like did we see and then can we engage in a conversation say hey were you at this anchorage or we saw you like you're not sure versus our boat like if they see our boat once yeah. and they see the second time like oh we saw we you saw like, you. you know yeah. a couple of days ago and you know just to that have was cool. yeah. yeah so it, it has a good side effect yeah and then the name we've been getting questions about too um, because awen a-w-e-n isn't a common word um, you want to talk about that yeah, you talk about it okay so we started out where we thought we wanted the name of the boat to be Geronimo. We thought that was a really cool kind of notion. Um, and then we realized, oh, actually, you have to spell it out. Alpha, Alpha Whiskey Echo November. 
And so if we had to spell it out in an emergency, we know we would lose our brain. So I was kind of thinking, well, the shorter, the better. So a really short name, you know, four or five letters um, that had some kind of meaning. And um, yeah, so you're from Brittany and we looked up uh, old Breton word um, and Awen sort of means a flowing spirit that inspires you or, you know, an inspirational flow. Um, or they, it's referred to as like the muses that inspire, um, music or art. And I thought that that was really meaningful. So, yeah. So then we kind of landed on that. We both agreed because we were kind of all over the place on boat names for a while. Um, and then when we realized, oh, we needed something short, it was, it was kind of, it was kind of good. And once, you know, the name is the name then you move on you move on yeah. <laughs> yeah and it's a lot of stuff on the boat it's the same thing yeah. you're going to overthink a lot of the stuff mm-hmm. and you don't want to make big mistakes that's for sure but mm-hmm. after a while it's just mm-hmm. you know you move on mm-hmm. and then you know mm-hmm. so but to come back to the logo the challenging part is between doing it yourself going online and trying to do something that is meaningful but once you stick it on the boat it's just like it just it, it just, looks clip it lo- yeah. yeah and and then or reaching to somebody uh, but you want a certain style and you don't know like how the person they might be an artist but how they will kind of connect with what you want so if people are interested we found this person yeah. we never met this person in person she works we worked remotely she's based in spain yeah so this woman's name is mercedes villar and uh she was referred to us through uh, another catamaran sailing group. I think I, I put a note out and I asked if anybody knew a good graphic artist. And I'm in marketing. And so, I mean, we tried Fiverr. We tried, you know, 99 Designs. We t- we we tried to get something done. It just wasn't good. And um, so someone gave us her name and she's amazing. She's a sailor herself too. And she also did, and this was just I found this out after the fact. She did the logo work for OC Tenders, which mm-hmm. we had a tender for. Our tenders in OC Tender, and so I don't know. We just, um, you know, we we don't speak the same language, so we communicated a lot through Google Translate. Her English is is fairly good, but you know, in terms of communicating details, um, you know, we had to kind of go back and forth. But she was on it. Like we said, here are the things we like. Here are the things we don't like. And she knew exactly. I mean, it was incredible. Yeah, that was an incredible thing. And she really made it come together. And then um, when we were in La Rochelle, we had La Rochelle Creations, who actually prints out the files into the um, adhesives and applies them on the boat. And um, yeah, they they did a great job too, I think. So So what we don't have time to go through, because we're, um, this is a long podcast, is all of the things we've done to make the boat more custom. And I think what we need to do is organize our thoughts on that um, and get everything sort of written down so that when we do a podcast, we can be a little bit more prepared because we've been sort of sharing that with everybody along the way as we've been going. But to do it properly, I think we'd like to, um, get a little bit more tight to explain everything we've, we've done, um, up to this point. So that's it about the boat. And again, if you have any questions, reach out to sailingowen at gmail.com or check us out on our Facebook page, Sailing Owen. Uh, and also Instagram at guess what? Sailing Allen. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, like, or share with another covert castaway. Fair winds for now. Oh, 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 o